just to give you a little more information about um, Dr. Ted Rosen. After attending Michigan State University as a National Merit Scholar, Dr. Rosen graduated from University of Michigan Medical School, cum laude. He trained in internal medicine at the University of Alabama and in dermatology at Baylor College of Medicine, where he currently serves as professor of dermatology and chief of dermatology at the Houston Veteran Affairs Medical Center. Dr. Rosen recently served a term on the board of directors of the American Academy of Dermatology. He is a past vice president of Texas Dermatological Society, a past president and secretary treasurer of the Houston Dermatological Society, and prior chairman and secretary treasurer of the dermatology section, South Medical Association. Dr. Rosen, Rosen has written over 275 peer-reviewed journal articles and three textbooks. He has been a plenary speaker for the National Dermatology Societies of Italy, France, Argentina, Korea, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Mexico, and 26 American State Dermatology Societies. On a personal note, Rosen is a lifelong numismatist and a devotee of horror films. He has four successful adult children and one old cat. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Ted Rosen. Thanks. So do you know what a numismatist is? Thank you. Uh, the person who was introducing me, I was trying to put him on the spot a little bit. Um, I'm sorry to see some people left. I hope you'll enjoy this talk. You know, every single session and every single meeting we go to, there are two or three talks on psoriasis. You almost never see a talk on this particular subject, do you? I'm going to be talking about the skin in pregnancy. And I think this is really important because, believe it or not, even though our OB-GYN colleagues may be whizzes at prenatal care and delivery, when something goes wrong on the skin, they panic because they don't know any of this. And not only do they panic, but their patients panic and their families panic. And some of these things related to pregnancy really are important in terms of the outcome for the entire process. And so it, this is a really under talked about subject, if you will, for about 15 years, my office connected with my university's OBGYN department. We literally were on the same hallways and every single solitary day I was in that office, I was pulled over to OBGYN to look at something frequently associated with pregnancy, not always, genital lesions, which I've talked to this group about before, uh, which the OB-GYN folks are also clueless about. If it's not herpes or lichen sclerosis, it's I don't know what that is. Could you please help me? So it's very important that we're aware of these things. It's not very complicated anymore. It used to be incredibly complicated. It's now been simplified. And so I'm going to try and give you the basis for which you will be able to help your OBGYN colleagues. I have no conflict of interest disclosure about this. Benjamin Franklin said, a ship under sail and a big bellied woman are the handsomest two things commonly seen. 
Of course, we all are happy with pregnancy and we are hoping and wishing for good outcomes for every patient. And that's where you might come in. So before I get to the rashes of pregnancy, I thought I'd talk about a few things that relate to pregnancy and maybe, again, give you a few clues. This is more of a cosmetic thing, but things that patients are concerned about. So physiologic changes that accompany pregnancy, you know, the glowing skin probably is more blood flow. The hair grows faster, has better tensile strength, but you know what happens postpartum. You get a postpartum telogen and effluvian, so it starts falling out. The, grow, the nails grow faster and often seem to be harder. There are different forms of pigmentation, including a dark line right down the center of the abdomen. 75% of women get that. If the patient asks you about it, tell them the best treatment is tincture of time. Don't try and bleach it. Don't use a laser on it. It's going to go away, almost always. Now, some women, because there is an increased blood flow, and that's designed to maintain circulation through the placenta to the baby, but some women do partially because of that, partially for hormonal reasons, partially just because of pressure of an enlarged uterus on all the vasculature that's distal to that, do end up with spider veins and other telangiectasias, but we can take care of those. And then, of course, the dreaded stretch marks. So here's melasma or cloasma, the mask of pregnancy. About 50 to 70% of women who are pregnant will get this, but it isn't exclusive to pregnancy can be associated with the birth control pill, hormone replacement therapy. Occasionally, you can even see this in men. Tends to be more common in darker skin types. The number one, two, three, four, five thing you can do is tell them to do sun protection. Use sunscreens. Then there are a variety of things from topical azelaic acid, topical steroids, hydroquinone, tretinoin, combinations of those things, alpha hydroxy acids, all can be used to help lighten this. Obviously, don't go overboard with any interventions till after the pregnancy is over. It does seem that combinations work best, so several different things. Laser therapy has often been said not very effective for this don't bother, but a new trend, this is a 2012 article just published, showing that combination laser therapy with an IPL followed by a Q-switched neodymium YAG actually did quite well. And if you look, this is the same patient right, left, and center. And if you follow her pigmentation down to the bottom, you can see the response with not a whole lot of treatment. So we're still exploring optimal laser therapy for this, but we have a variety of medical therapies that do seem to work, plus tincture of time is on your side. Postpartum effluvium, massive hair loss, starts about three months after delivery, and that's because the hormones of pregnancy literally kept all the hairs in the growing state, then all of a sudden that hormone support is gone, so the hairs now are in a resting state and they fall out. We all lose hair every single day, 50, 75, 100, but a true telogen effluvium, they lose 150 or more hairs, I usually ask if someone tells me I'm losing hair and I can't see thin by looking at their scalp, I say collect everything that's on the bottom of the shower, collect what's in your comb or your brush. Each day, put it in a baggie and bring it. And then I assign whichever student has been not so good on the rotation. 
to sit and count the hairs. And, but the thing is, if you see a baggie that looks kind of like this, you know there's a problem. The other thing you can do is just pull. Grab with your hand and pull. And normally you get maybe a hair, but if you get 10 hairs, you know there's no, there's no going back. This is really a problem. Now, once this starts, it usually lasts about three months, although it can go on for six months, and it generally reverses itself. Now, you can prescribe something and then take credit for it, which is often a good strategy, but the bottom line is this patient had absolutely nothing done other than reassurance. There she is, three months postpartum, having experienced a massive hair loss. She doesn't, you can see her parts. She's very unhappy. And nine months later, she looked like that with no intervention at all. So you don't really need to do much. Now, stretch marks seen in about half to almost every pregnancy. Who's at risk? There's lots of conflicting data. Maybe patients who are obese are at increased risk. Maybe those who have larger weight gain maybe certain ethnic groups, it's very conflicting. What seems to be absolutely uniform is if mom got stretch marks, daughter's gonna get stretch marks. And if a woman develops stretch marks during her growth spurt, she's gonna get stretch marks during pregnancy. Those two things seem to be very, very consistent. If one of your patients says, hey, am I gonna get stretch marks now that I'm pregnant, ask. Did mom get stretch marks? Did you get them when you underwent your, your growth spurt? Now, prevention. There's been a lot of talk about regular moisturization. There have even been some products that have been sort of in the cult literature said to be helpful. And the bottom line is when a very large randomized control trial was done with different kinds of moisturizers, it didn't matter. It didn't help. You can do that. It gives the patient something to do. Their skin will feel smooth and soft, but it probably won't help stretch marks. It's going to happen if it's going to happen. So then what do you do afterwards? If they have those red, purple-looking stretch marks as depicted on the top here, then some of the lasers that we have designed to treat red will make them better. And if they have sort of the burned-out white lesions, an eczema laser will sometimes help pigment return to those areas. Topical tretinoin as well as glycolic acid have been said to be helpful, not so sure. Botanical creams without a whole lot of science behind them, inconsistent. The latest trend is to use a Fraxel, and this can be used on any skin tone and it may be beneficial even when you have those very wide, very cosmetically distressing white stretch marks, the sort of late thing. You will see some improvement. I'm gonna show you examples. It's not perfect, but it's better. It's gonna take a number of treatments, not just one, and it's gonna be costly. So once you lay those predicates, if the patient wants to try it, they may be benefited. But don't promise, don't overpromise. And these are about the best examples I could find in the literature. In our own department, we've done Fraxel for stretch marks, and I haven't been terribly impressed. Some improvement in a few patients, but it's a costly, repeated process. Depends on the patient's degree of distress. Now, this is the poor person's Fraxel. I like this. 
This is a little device that has needles in it. They're very small. They're only about a millimeter and a half deep. And what this group did, they're from Korea, is they said instead of using high-priced technology that may or may not be very good, let's use low-priced technology and see if it does any good. And they basically went up, down, back and forth. So in all four directions, they rolled this little thing. You get a little tiny, the sharp point gives you a little tiny bit of bleeding. It's not like blood's going to be dripping off the exam table. Little teeny tiny bit. They did three sessions, one month apart, and almost half of them, according to the investigators, had excellent improvement. About 40% of the patients thought they were improved. I'll show you their good example. You always show your best example, and you can see the stretch marks on the buttocks do look improved. Of course, the picture is not before and after isn't the same tone. It's not exactly the same focus, but at least it's a cheap way to go about trying this, and you can get these at any medical supply house. They're sterile. You don't reuse them. You pitch them because they're cheap. So this is sort of the poor man's fraxel for limited areas. Uh, if someone happens to be a sadomasochist, they might particularly like this therapeutic endeavor. Now, some specific skin disorders. During pregnancy, the immune system changes. And Th1, cell-mediated immunity, is decreased. Th2, or humoral immunity, antibody-related immunity, is increased. And what does that mean? Well, that means that things that are treated, they're handled by the body. With cell-mediated immunity, tend to not do so well. So fungal infections may be worse. Patients are more prone to vulvovaginal candidiasis. They may have external genital warts that you thought were gone, now they recur, or for the first time they come, they appear and they're not so happy. They may grow very rapidly, the external genital warts. And you really don't want these around because if the patient undergoes normal vaginal delivery, the HPV that caused these can cause neonatal laryngeal papillomatosis. So the treatment is justifiable. There is absolute consensus that the treatment of choice in pregnancy for genital warts is CO2 laser ablation. We don't really have solid data on the safety of the topical agents that are approved in the United States for external genital warts. There is a small series using a Miquimod. Patients were fine. Sinicatechins, ointment 15%. That's green tea derivative. We don't tell pregnant patients don't greet drink green tea, so it's probably safe, but those aren't really approved. You can see here in three different studies, they're older, but there aren't a whole lot of studies after this that have a meaningful number of patients, anywhere from about 75 to 92% success. And by success, I mean ablating the warts, no warts left, and relatively low failure rates. So CO2 laser does appear to be the